Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an LA champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Apter, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. The voice of choice, Bruce Ward. Killer Ken Resnick and back with a vengeance from his mysterious assignment yeah. is wonderful willie the legend maker bill after sporting his only available on his head voc nation wrestling hat cap if you're watching on our premium channel so you wouldn't see bill's hat if you're not paying three dollars a month at least you know what i might i might auction this one rare hat off and sign it to one of our premium viewers it comes if you subscribe to the premium channel, you have a chance to win this hat complete with seven pieces of dandruff and two gray hairs. One of them five pieces of dandruff. I had some treatment done. Thank you. Um, head and shoulders, not a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> Bill, uh, Ken and I were talking about your assignment last week. We want to know what you were doing. What, what was the assignment? Well, I'm not going to, I can't legally give the entire schlemiel here but i will tell you that on may 2nd which is a sunday night after the ww after the wwe biography series the next show that follows that is the wwe hunt for lost treasures right that particular episode on may 2nd is all about Jerry the King Lawler. And the, yeah, that guy. And the A&E crew came down to Aptor's Alley and they found something that they were looking for and I'm not at liberty to say what it was, but 
Uh, uh, please tell us it wasn't a dead body. How did you find out? I thought it was methamphetamine. Yeah, I've got my sources. <laughs> no, but they uh, they did uh, uh, they did a complete uh, interview with me and uh, a lot of my memorabilia. And there was uh, there were a couple of pieces down there. But we we wrapped up. We we taped uh, several months ago, uh, and we wrapped up the entire uh, um, deal last week, which is why I wasn't here. And I'm very excited about it. May second on the A and E Network at. Uh, and what what are you doing? I'm pantomiming the uh, the May second, A and E. Yeah, but if people are listening to that, they can't see what you're doing. I know you're just talking, and I'm pantomiming for the people Excellent that are watching. Pantomiming. Yeah, please please watch uh, please check that out because it's going to be a really exciting episode. And they had an entire film crew down here in Actors Alley, and it was uh, it was pretty uh, pretty terrific. And then. Assignment two on that day was to help appear on the um, press conference uh, between Impact Wrestling and AEW, where uh, Kenny Omega and uh, Rich Swan will be uh, competing, as you know, for the uh, uh, title versus title. And uh, I taped a segment, which is now you can find it on YouTube if you go to uh, if you go to the press, type in uh, Impact Wrestling or AEW press conference. For that match and I am part of that as well so there was a lot of things that kept me from uh, being here last week he was busy Ken yeah but I missed you it sounds like it I missed you too when all our great Theo Sears and they missed you too oh thank you <laughs> Ken I, we, I, we missed you we're, we're just glad you could squeeze us in tonight yeah no cut it out all right. Well, Ken, Ken and I last week, we, we went through our mailbag and we looked at the listener feedback and answered some questions and we had a great time and we ended up settling in um, on Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan's relationship and Jesse Ventura. We debated him for a little while and talked about him. And I want to read some of the feedback from that episode. So gentlemen, shall we start with that? And then we'll get into the life and times, the career and your memories, your interactions with the one and only WWE Hall of Famer, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Wait, wait, wait. What, when you introduce him, it's got to be Rowdy Roddy Piper. Well, that's your job. Thank you. I'm the straight man. Just... <laughs> I only laugh when it comes to Vern Gagne's last match. Look that Not one up sometimes. So we will we will talk about Rowdy Roddy Piper tonight and skip that particular episode. Helmet. So in other words, Bill Bruce is kind of self-identifying as the Ed McMahon of wrestling with history. There we go. There we go. Another reason for me to be attacked on Twitter. And what do we mean by that? Maurizio RC uh, says, even as a kid, I remember watching their segments together and always feeling these two loved each other. Bobby breaking down on Nitro after Monsoon's passing or at the end of his Hall of Fame speech, speech are sweet, moving moments. Bobby Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon. Bill or Ken, either one of you, did you see, I guess I'll go to Bill on this. Bobby Heenan, uh, breaking down on Nitro after Gorilla Monsoon passed. And there was always this rumor that he had tension with Tony Schiavone because Tony didn't want him to do that or didn't want him to acknowledge Monsoon on Nitro. Had you heard that? That Bobby, I, I know there was 
tension between Shivani and uh, Bobby for quite some time. At that point, um, Tony was kind of uh, fed up with the wrestling business. They were jerking him around, uh, contractual things. Uh, uh, he and Bobby were kind of butting heads on things too. So um, yeah, yeah, there were there were issues between uh, he and Tony. Uh, Bobby and Monsoon were the perfect foils for each other. They, they really were. And they were very dear friends in, uh, in, in personal life. Um, yeah, and I loved listening to two of them. You know, that was when, I grew up in the days when there was one wrestling broadcaster sitting in at the table. He and said one they, wrestling on purpose, Ken. What's yeah. that? He said one wrestling on purpose because he said one purpose. wrestling broadcaster. And I said, you said one wrestling on purpose because that was your, your brand for so many years. No, no, no. One wrestling. Not I, I know, but yeah. anyway, uh, but, but he, um, there was one wrestling broadcaster when I was growing up, it was either uh, Lonnie Starr, Eric Page, Ray Morgan. There were never two of them. And then when WWF started the, the two man teams, uh, I think I started enjoying Bobby and Gorilla Monsoons back and forth uh, almost more than uh, any of them. Yeah. Ken, speaking of Tony and Bobby, did you ever work with anybody you didn't like on commentary? Was there, was there ever a time where you, you did it, but you didn't really love doing it? Um, putting you on the not spot in there, wrestling, so. no. no. Not in no, wrestling. I, I, not in I, wrestling. That's the key. I, I, <laughs> That, that that's my answer and I'm sticking to it. Uh, no, I, I, I never did. And, you know, um, I, I think when one of the reasons Bobby and Gorilla became such fast friends, if you think about their entire careers, everything they did, they had tremendous respect for the business. So I, I, I think, you know, they, they had common ground and it was just like, I'm sure it's, it's happened to all of us. You meet someone and within a couple of minutes, you know, this person is going to be one of your closest friends for the rest of your life. And I, I think that that common ground of respect was there and it was just two people that, you know, instantaneously hit it off um and you know i was around both i, I mean you, you never heard a bad word from anybody about bobby you never heard a bad word from anyone uh about gorilla you know maybe bobby with the exception of tony shivani and and i was aware of that even though i you know i was never at, at wcw i don't know the reason but it was one of those things that even if you didn't know it and some of the broadcasts together and Bill, I think you can really speak to this. You could sense that they really didn't like each other. I, you know, I don't want to uh, go into a deep thing about uh, Tony uh, disliking um, Bobby Heenan like no, that. No, not the reason, I, but I mean, you could, you could just sense there yeah, wasn't. But I think, I think the main crux of that was more that Tony wanted to get out of the business at that point. Things just weren't 
palatable to him anymore in WCW. The people that were running it and he, they just didn't see. And so he was fed up with everything. So it wasn't just Bobby Heenan. I think Tony was at that point wanted to be wanted out. And he was driven out of that business by politics and contractual things for ages. And, you know, now he's back stronger than ever, like they say. But I, I, I want to say the tension wasn't just alone with Bobby Heenan. It was with a lot of people in that WCW organization. All right, let's keep it right on going. And just a Vegas donk uh, on the same regard said, it was hard to watch Nitro when Bobby was trying to be professional and keeping it together, but you could tell he was ready to break down. Just a very sentimental episode if you get a chance to go back and watch nitro the day after or the day of a gorilla dying i'm not sure which uh which it was uh sd uh or s delphin um maybe it's s delphin i don't know if it was seriously ever considered to put andre with jesse it just made so much sense to put him with Heenan. Heenan was desperate to beat Hogan and win the title as the Heenan family hadn't managed to win any titles at that point, despite being the premier heel faction. Andre seemed to be the best to beat Hogan, but it also was believable that Heenan could make the case to Andre that he could take him to the championship. Yeah. Then he goes on to say, Gorilla and Jesse is my favorite combo from back in the day. They were a tremendous duo for pay-per-views. They made the shows feel important. Gorilla with Bobby was also a great duo, but Gorilla and Jesse were better, in my opinion, his opinion, for more casual set, or I guess Bobby was more, <laughs> I'm trying to interpret this a little bit and summarize. Gorilla and Bobby was also a great duo, but they were better, in his opinion, for more casual settings like challenge and studio stuff on primetime, great stuff together. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. Bill, last week, Ken and I talked about, um, I asked Ken from a listener if it was ever considered, if he knew, for Jesse to come out with Andre because Jesse had that kind of feud with Hogan as well that really never happened because of the blood clotting issues he had in his lungs. And, you know, Ken kind of talked through it and said Jesse wouldn't have been a great person for that because he was more about putting himself over and Bobby was yeah. about putting the match over. So that was that. Let's unpack that first. Had okay. you ever heard about Jesse uh, maybe being paired with Andre or somebody no. else on a run against Hogan? No, I never did because uh, Andre the Giant was the logical, uh, Bobby Heenan was the logical choice. Andre needed a mouthpiece and Andre, as big as he was at that point, uh, in terms of reputation and all that, still needed someone to heat up the feud. Andre could get on there and go, okay, I'm going to beat Hogan, you know. But Bobby Heenan, with all his sarcasm, and Heenan had that history with Hogan for all those years in the AWA as well. And fans knew that through reading the magazines. Um, the history between Bobby Heenan wanting to uh, destroy Hulk Hogan through his various chargers made sense. Jesse Ventura, to me, would not have made sense at all being a spokesman for Andre. It was a different, uh, Jesse didn't have that, Jesse was a great talker, but he he couldn't be sarcastic and sell like Bobby the Brain Heenan could. Right, Ken? You know, and I think something else that, that factored into it um, was they knew having Bobby involved with a feud with Hulk, who was the 
Ken, Ken, uh, we might have lost Ken for a second there. Ken, while you regroup, I don't know if you have a bad connection or or not, but I'll. There you go. Are you back oh, with us, Ken? Yeah, I, I mean, I I never lost uh, you guys. But what I was going to say is, Bobby, you know, Hulk was the face of the franchise, and Bobby had the capability. And we've talked about it with whoever he managed when he was talking for Andre, putting Andre over, he would also have the ability of putting Hulk over right. at the same time he was talking about how they were going to destroy him. And I think that was one of the other reasons. And it, it came to me, the, the last comment you read, uh, the biggest difference, even that listener said it made perfect sense because back in the day, everything was believable. You know, he, the first thing he said was it made perfect sense to put, because he believed it as today's entertainment, the believability is not so much of a factor. And I, I couldn't help but think about where his first thing was, he said it made perfect sense. So it was wrestling. Lost Ken again. Yeah. Ken, your internet's a little bit unstable. I'm not sure what's happening there. Uh, while we're waiting for Ken to come back, Bill, and, and I don't know if, if, if Ken, Ken wasn't there at this time, but when Hogan came to the WWF, I forget if Jesse ended up coming back. He was there, and then he left for the AWA and ended up coming back. Hogan came to the WWF. Weren't they playing it up for a big Hogan-Jesse feud yeah. together? Yeah, as two yeah. megastars? Yeah, well, not as a team. Uh, no, no, no. It's a feud between right, two yeah, megastars. Yeah, right. Yes. But I think Vince McMahon became very enthralled with the personality of Jesse the Body Ventura, more so in terms of uh, becoming one of the broadcasters that helped get, even though he was very into himself, there was something about Jesse Ventura that, you, you know, McMahon, that voice that he had, et cetera. He was a character. So more so than a character in the ring, he was more of a character in terms of a personality, an on-air personality. And uh, uh, yeah, he, I, I, just getting back to what you were talking about, I could never have seen him as the manager of someone. Right. He just, and it wasn't that he was just gonna talk about himself. I just don't think, I think he looked better than some of the guys that he might've managed as well. Yeah. And you, why isn't and he wrestling this guy instead of his charger? Ken, when, when you were in the AWA and Jesse departed for the WWE, was that somebody that Vern felt a big well, loss? You left the F out there. WWF. Uh, was, that, was that somebody that Vern felt was a big loss at the time? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, Jesse was a great talent, but I, I don't think he had ever endeared himself to, to the office or to uh, Vernon Gregg. And, and Bill's right. I mean, Jesse, as a broadcaster, he, he had this natural arrogance about him where as a broadcaster, you, you almost love to hate Jesse more from his broadcasting than from his in-ring. Yeah, for sure. Um, Hainsey, in, in quotation, says, will you stop? And that's a, obviously a Gorilla Monsoon quote. Yeah. Will you stop? 
PJ Jr., uh, being fortunately old enough to have witnessed Bobby and Gorilla, I'm so glad to hear it was genuine. They made you feel invested in the match and emotionally. And of course, the humor was second to none. Just like JR in his prime, you got so pulled in, you forgot it was scripted. Nothing, no one ever will match their play-by-play of the famous barbershop rockers breakup. I don't even remember that. I don't remember the commentary. I remember Marty being thrown through yeah. the, the window. But you see, I, I never thought at the beginning when Gorilla Monsoon first uh, started broadcasting, I didn't know that he was going to be as good as he was in that role. Because he was, when I was growing up, he was a scary bad guy. And to, you know, shave that beard and come out as a broadcaster, he really, um, he shined in that role. There's one thing he always showed me when I did interviews with him back in the days when he was mean Gorilla Monsoon, he always wanted to show people his intelligence and how well-schooled he was. And he actually got that uh, out there when he was a broadcaster, people knew how intelligent he was and his intelligence. And again, bouncing off Bobby Heenan's sarcasm just worked so well together. And did you, you ever- know, Bruce, I'm thinking that comment when he said, you know, he knew it was scripted. I, I hope he was just referring to the matches because again, and Bobby and Gorilla didn't rehearse anything. They, they just- played off one another and, and went. Uh, and I, I don't think uh, Vince or uh, anyone in the booking office or talent would have dared try to tell Bobby or Gorilla what to say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to uh, just not to believe her a point, but nothing Bobby and Gorilla ever did in commentary was rehearsed or scripted. I think I, I'd like to come back to this at some point and maybe do a whole episode on Gorilla Monsoon. I think that would be fun. I have some more questions on Monsoon for you guys. So let me come back to that. I'll leave most of the rest of this alone. Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it alone and we'll come back to Gorilla Monsoon. Good time to take a break. We'll come back you on the other what? side. You know what? This whole segment, you know what it's got me feeling like? What's that? Like breaking a coconut over someone's head. <laughs> That's it. Bill led us into the break because on the other side, we're going to come back and talk about the one and only WWE Hall of Famer, Rowdy. I can't do it. Rowdy Roddy Piper <laughs> right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. This is Wrestling With History back on the other side. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter 
at VOC Nation. VOC Nation Wrestling Network, wrestling with history, uh, the voice of choice Bruce Ward, Killer Ken Resnick, and the legend maker, wonderful Willie, Bill Apter, and great first segment. If you, uh, well, you're not tuning in. It's not live. What am I talking about? I'm flashing back to radio. Uh, you've obviously heard the first segment where we went through fan mail, and we're going to try to do that every week. But we're talking about Rowdy Roddy Piper. This is three weeks in the making, preempted by the Hall of Fame, preempted by Bill's assignment where he made a secret, super secret top deal with A&E. And uh, today you get Roddy Piper. And uh, Roddy Piper born April 17th, 1954 in Saskatchewan. Oh, wait a minute. We missed his birthday several days ago. That's right. This is a perfect, perfect. I didn't even do this on purpose. We didn't even delay on purpose. We're doing this three days. We're recording three days after. His birthday. Happy birthday, Roddy. You would have been 61 years old. Yeah. Yeah, What an amazing, what an amazing character. Yeah. Born in Saskatchewan, Canada. He's Canadian, not from Scotland, as he was billed as for so many years. And how many people do that? Wait, don't do that. What? He was from Scotland. He was from Canada. Well, he was from the Scottish section of Saskatchewan. There we go. Uh, but that's interesting, right? I mean, there's a lot of gimmicks. Let's start not even with Roddy Piper. Think about the gimmicks back in yesteryear that weren't, they, the people weren't remotely from where they talked about. And I think about, you know, you think about Roddy Piper, but um, Joe Scarpa, who, who was Chief J Strongbow and Chief J, he's out there and he was, I think, I, he was upset about the Tatanka character because of how it disgraced Native Americans. The guy's an Italian man from New York. What's going on here? How about what? Nikolai Volkov? Nikolai Volkov, right. He was, uh, where was he really from? He was uh, my, not Mongolian. <laughs> he was part well, of the Mongols. He was Russian, but he was, uh, he was, I think he was Italian too. No, no, no. He was, uh, he was, um, not Russian, but and he wasn't Italian. He definitely wasn't, uh, and I forgot. Or Zukov was was a guy that well, wasn't I Russian. Couldn't, I can't. Volkov was definitely Croatian. Nikolai was Croatian. Yeah, and then uh, Kamala, who was uh, um, current uh, vice president, uh, was from uh, the Uganda. Uh, but yeah, but let the, let the, see. I'm a traditionalist. I I I, be, I I It's hard for me to discuss those things. Like when you mentioned Chief J. Strongbow and. Joe Scarborough, we covered him as to even in the magazines before he was Chief J. Strongbow. And there were articles as Joe Scarborough. Once he became Chief J. Strongbow, that's who he was from Pahuska, Oklahoma. Listen, well, Bruce Pritch, you know, Adnan, Sheik Adnan wrestled with, with J. Strongbow over in Hawaii, and, and Adnan was Billy White Wolf. Billy White Wolf, that's correct. Part of his Indian heritage. That people didn't know until we had it in the magazine. But Roddy Piper, what back back in the day when he used to tell me, and I did many interviews with him, that when he was trying to break into his career, there were nights that he slept in Saskatchewan, other parts of Canada, in his car for weeks at a time, trying because he was only making like twenty-five and thirty dollars, if that trying out for wrestling 
matches. And I never knew about him until I think it was 19, late 70s in New York. We used to get the Lucha Libre shows from the Olympic Auditorium. And I remember seeing this little scrawny kid and he was like a manager or something. And I thought his name was Rodney Piper. And he was, I thought he was awful. He was just interfering, this skinny pimple-faced kid. And he was interfering in people's matches and he really annoyed me. He really, really annoyed me. I, that was the first time that I had seen him on LA TV. And then Theo Errett, who was our Los Angeles photographer for the magazines, sent us photos of him and uh, we just started showing photos of him in the magazine and little by little people started asking questions about him and uh, yeah that's the early part of Roddy Piper that I remember but I have a I have a lot of Roddy Piper stories I knew him really 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 well Ken when did you first run into him uh, I mean obviously you know I was well aware of him but First time I interacted with him was um, you know, April 86 or, you know, maybe the first part of May, but, uh, you know, after I went to WWF um, and, you know, I, I'd never met him and, you know, I still remember, um, I don't think he was there the, the first couple of times I did interviews because they were running, you know, two towns simultaneously. But the first time when I was scheduled to do some interviews with him, uh, you know, he comes walking into the interview room and he just comes walking up and says, hi, I'm Roddy Piper. Nice to meet you. You know, like, I mean, he was just, you know, one of the guys. Um, but the thing I remember most about Roddy is during doing his interviews, Roddy could get himself so worked up where I had fans. One of the things they would ask me most, they go, Roddy Piper, I mean, is, is he nuts? I mean, is he all there? He could get so worked up as a fan. You thought this guy was really nuts that, you know, he was going to do everything he said he was going to do. That's how convincing he was and you know like macho man hulk you know all, all the great stars you know they did their interviews but roddy it's like had a second gear and i kind of noticed he was smart enough if he was doing an interview like three weeks out from the match in whatever city he was you know a little more reserved than you know just roddy roddy piper but as the time frame in reality to whenever the match was going to occur in the town, he would get more worked up. And like the last interview that was going to air on TV, it's like he was bordering on insanity. Yes. And people believe that. But he was smart enough on his own to <coughs> kind of pace build up. You know, a, a lot of the great guys – uh, tremendous interviews were pretty much the same kind of interview, whether they were three weeks out or it was, you know, happening tonight. But Ronnie was smart enough to kind of build his intensity up to the match. And, and he was the only guy I have worked with that 
did that consistently. And I remember, you know, we always knew the town and, you know, whoever he was going to be working with. And Ronnie was one of those that would always ask, okay, now, when is this going to air in, in that market? Okay. And when is the match? So it was like, he's going, okay, so there's going to be another TV before the match. So I'm going to still be a little reserved here and save it for, you know, the final push to get people to buy tickets. He's the only performer I can ever remember consistently wanting to be aware of when it was going to air in relation to when the actual match was going to take place in that market. Very interesting. Uh, it's He just had such an awareness for the, the business. And you think about, you talked about Tina Moretti last week, Ivory, and you knew she was a star because she had a presence. She had an awareness of the crowd. She and and Hulk Hogan is is famous famously thought of as somebody who just had. He knew how to work the crowd. He knew how to be aware of the situation and just play it up. And Roddy Piper was one of those people. I think that's why he was very successful on commentary as well. You know, we talked about Jesse being successful in commentary, and a lot of people don't know this, but Roddy Piper. In the NWA, he was Gordon Soley's commentary. That's how he yeah, broke it. I think in Atlantic for quite a period of time, he did that. And Rod Piper, yeah, and 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 uh, not only uh, Atlanta on that TV, but he did it some of the other markets in that. And uh, he also um, uh, helped Gordon. Gordon Soley almost fell off the ring one time, and Roddy saved him. Uh, that was a legit. Thing, but uh, Roddy Gordon, uh, Gordon have a little bit, a uh, little bit of uh, flask in his coffee or something that day. No, no, no. He was uh, broadcasting and he he almost slipped off the slipped off the ring. I've heard stories about Gordon's pregame. Well, we talked about him one time, but that's not my. Yeah, no, 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 I know, but, I know, I know. And he and Roddy were were uh, very close. But what I want wanted to say is that Roddy, um, oh, I lost my train of thought here. Roddy saved Gordon uh, right. from falling off the ring. Roddy also saved Gordon from Don Morocco. That was how he became a wrestler in that territory. And Exactly. Exactly. But what I was striving at was that Roddy Piper's interviews, like uh, Ken said, were so convincing. He knew exactly what to bring up. And when you look back at the days of pre-WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 1, and all the, uh, the the back and forth with, uh, see, Roddy was very protective of the business. And a lot of people don't know that. Back then, everybody was. And I still am. You'll see, Bruce, lots of times I go, don't say that. But I'm still protective. That's just me. Hey, hey, hey Bill, Bill, not to interrupt, and, and I don't want to be the bearer of, of bad tidings, but the secret's out. I didn't know it was broken. <laughs> Bruce is wrestling fix. I didn't know it was broken. Thank you. So uh, Roddy Piper was so intense that way that when Mr. T came in, when Mr. T came in and, you know, they were telling him that the business is this and this is that, Roddy wanted Mr. T to know that the business was a shoot as far as he's concerned. And there was a lot of tension between he and Mr. T because Mr. T was coming in as an actor and Roddy Piper was a professional wrestler. And there was a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of heat uh, between the two of them, but there are two parts of Roddy Piper's career 
that were shots heard around the world. The first one that I remember, that I remember was Starcade, the original Starcade, Roddy Piper against Greg Valentine. and the Is that the year of the collar. year? Yeah, when the door co dog collar chain match. And we played that up very, very heavily in the magazines. And we even sent our photographer, Eddie Cheslock, to Roddy Piper's house to take pictures of the ear. I mean, these people would do anything at that point to prove it was real. I don't know if Roddy chopped his own ear up at that point or what uh, uh, what went on. But Just so people know, Roddy had his eardrum broken at, yeah. at, in that match and lost for the rest of his life, lost, uh, what, 75% of his hearing in that ear? Like that, in, in that. Uh, and so that, that was a very fabled uh, match. But the other thing, the other shot that was heard around the world and wrestling fans today still look this up on YouTube is the night he had Superfly Jimmy Snooker, Piper's Pit, and he whacked Snooker with a coconut, broke it over his head. And people today still talk about that. Do you two remember that? Well, I was like four, but I, I've, yes, I've, I've, of course, seen that many times. Ken, you weren't there, right? You were, that was yeah. a couple of years before you got right. in, right. but talked about forever. It was, that was a shoot. It's not a, I mean, obviously it was planned, but uh, I mean, getting a coconut busted over he your had, head probably he told, didn't feel good. Snooker told him to do it. He said, just run up, just break it, do it. Snooker didn't care if he saw stars and was knocked out that night. That was, again, people today still talk about it. The believability factor in everything Roddy Piper did, he would, it would go viral to whoever his opponent was. Whoever Roddy Piper was with or worked against or wrestled against was always in as intense as he was. You know, I, and I think part of it too, not only with Roddy, but more so as Bill talked about, you know, this is a guy that, you know, basically had to live in his car to, to you know, pay his dues in the business. So I think from a lot of those veterans, they just, it didn't sit right when people, you know, like Mr. T that had never paid his dues, right. you know, suddenly were brought in as main eventers. And, and, and I don't think it was anything personal, but I think there was a lot of that from the kayfabe era that, you know, every one of those big stars started off in some territory where, as Bill said, you know, they might be getting 25 or 50 bucks a night and having to drive 375 miles, you know, to, to get to the, the next town. And I think there was a little of that not, not jealousy, but I, probably I'd say resentment yeah. that, you know, all these guys paid their dues. And then here's this guy that is done, you know, as an actor and is suddenly a main event. Keep in mind that as intense as Roddy Piper was, there was another side of him. I used to call him maybe once or twice a month and his wife, Kitty, always picked up the phone. And uh, he would get on, oh, hi, Bill, how you doing? He was very, he wasn't that intense Roddy Piper, but he was a terrific family man. I had the opportunity to interview his uh, daughter at a convention uh, a couple of years ago. You can find that on uh, One Wrestling Video on the YouTube channel. 
But what I want to say you know is, what, Bruce, you got to get like a revolving red light that you can push when there's a shameless plug that just alerts. No, no, no. I, I little just, siren. It's habit. It's habit. But what I want to talk about is the man Roddy Piper that I got to know very well. Went out to dinner with him lots of times. Spent many times in, uh, on the road driving together. Um, Don Owen credits Roddy Piper with helping make that whole Portland, Oregon territory into a viable territory. Roddy got his early day start in that territory. And whenever Don Owen needed Roddy Piper, whether he was in the WWF or whatever he was doing, he would go and go up there and help and do a show for Don Owen, even if it was just uh, in appearance or whatever. He always remembered his roots. He always remembered where he came from. And there were a lot of guys that he worked with in uh, Los Angeles uh, at the Olympic Auditorium that he thought very highly of that he eventually brought into the WWF as well. I, I think, Bill, and, and you would know this better, but was not uh, when Roddy got to Owens territory in Portland, that was really the first time Roddy was kind of making a, a livable wage in the Correct. business. Correct. Yeah, Don Don Owen appreciated what he did, and we didn't we were didn't have a photographer up in uh, that Portland area. Um, once in a while, somebody would send pictures, but Roddy would periodically just pick up the phone to give me a call and let me know, you know, that when you help Don Owen out and I kept saying, well, we need a photographer up there. We never really got one, but uh, he was always trying to help other people in the business that he felt indebted to for helping him. That's awesome. That's uh... a great story about uh, Roddy. You know, a lot of the guys in those days uh, wherever they were, they kind of wanted to be the center of attention, get noticed uh yeah promoting themselves um i i can't remember it i i want to say it may have been pittsburgh but i flew into a town you know we were going to do interviews all day and there was a house show that night and i was at the airport and i was standing in line because i was getting a rent a car you know you know drive right to the building and you know i'm standing there and all of a sudden a guy taps me on the shoulder and i kind of turn around and he goes hey you go in the arena and I was like, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, you know, there's a, a, a card tonight starts at, you know, whatever. And he goes, I know. Can I get a ride with you? And I was like, uh, do, do I know you? And it was just a guy in a black warm up suit with a ball cap looking down, you know, I did, and he goes, it's me, Piper. And I was Roddy. He was going down and saw me and he said, well, Ken must be going and he probably gets his car paid. It was like, he didn't want anybody to recognize him. He didn't want any attention. He was just like, I, he literally was a foot away from me and I didn't recognize him. He just said, it's me, Piper. Want to get a ride with you? <laughs> and you said, yeah, if I can get your payoff for the night, I'll give you a ride in my rental car. I, um, I hold the <laughs> distinction of Roddy Piper giving me the title of the only man responsible for killing a Piper's pit. I thought that was Ken on the Adrian Adonis. On a Piper's pit? 
No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. We've talked about it before. Oh, Ken was okay. on Piper's Pit. Go ahead, Bill. Tell your I story. Was a we were in, uh, on Piper's Pit, Bill. There, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, an independent promotion in Texas. This is probably about, I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago. And Roddy was booked on the show against just some preliminary guy who was going to be uh, managed by General Skandar Akbar. And I went into the dressing room before Roddy's match. I hadn't seen him in a few years. And he says, after, how are you doing? I said, I got a great idea for tonight. Says, oh, my God. We were already worked something out. And he's standing there. He loved to chew gum. Roddy chewed gum. Always. And he said, okay, let, let me hear it. So I said, you know, Akbar is anti-U.S., you know. And this is, uh, this, it was Patriotic Professional Wrestling was the name of the group. Um, and it was being taped for TV, and uh, I was one of the broadcasters there. Um, I got along with the other broadcasters because they were both me. I just kept doing different voices. Uh, no, that's another story for another week. But so Piper says, so you think that I should chase Akbar out of the ring and then beat up this opponent? I said, yeah, you'll get a lot of heat. patriotic professional wrestling. So Piper says, well, this better work. So they get in the ring, I'm up in the booth upstairs and I see him trying to get Akbar out of the ring and Akbar's not moving. Turns out that Akbar could barely walk even to get into the ring and I didn't know that, neither did Piper. So after the match, he comes over to me up in the broadcast booth, not on the air between, and he says, you're the only one who ever effed up a Piper's pit. True story, true story. They had a whole ending worked out. Akbar never said that he couldn't, uh, he couldn't move, he couldn't do it. And it screwed up the entire thing. So till the day he died, anytime I talked to him, he always said, Bill Actor's the only guy that ever screwed up a Piper's pit. Now, I, I wanna ask you guys, Piper was one of the very few who worked as both top babyface, top heel, and really kind of went back and forth his entire career. Ken, you were there. I mean, he was the top heel in the WWF from 85 through um, actually 84 through the middle of 86. He was the guy. Didn't need a manager. I mean, he was he was his he was the show. Um, what was the atmosphere like when Roddy was asked to turn into a, a babyface? Was there any is that did that lead to his departure? Was he upset about having to, you know, run? run with Hogan not not being at the top of the card I, not that I'm aware of but I've always said uh, it was a little bit like the road warriors in that even before he made the actual turn he was so over with the fans as a heel yep. that they appreciated him that even though he was this huge heel they were really rooting for him the same as like, you know, the road warriors, they didn't really do a turn to become baby faces. The fans kind of forced it. And it was a little bit the same with Ronnie Piper. He was so over in his intensity with the fans that, it, you know, I, I, I think it was inevitable that he was going to, you know, that they, he was going to do a turn because to a, for a lot of the fans, he already had done it. The fans, but, turned, but, you know, like the Road Warriors, even when he did the turn, he was still Roddy Roddy Piper. Right. You know, I, I mean, he he became a babyface, 
but his interviews, his attitude, his wrestling, none of it changed. That's right. See, it's it's the what what a lot of people don't get about the wrestling business back then is, and the Road Warriors were a perfect example of that as well. Is that the fans latched on to these people and they really loved them. They became part of their persona, and it, with with the Road Warriors and Roddy Piper, the fans kind of changed them, and then the promotion changed the opponents to go along with it. It wasn't really, well, Roddy, we're going to turn you good guy. No, we're going to team you now with Hogan or whoever, because, you know, the fans love you. So I don't, Roddy Piper knew what was good for business and he went along with it. He never had that angry thing. Oh, I'm not going to do this. He, he was, they listened to him because he had a brilliant creative mind for not only his character, but anyone that he was working with. And he was also a dressing room captain for years where a lot of guys would come over knowing how creative, and I saw this in action, how creative he was and ask him, hey, what do you think if we do this? And he wasn't even involved in that situation. He loved doing that stuff. He loved giving that kind of stuff. When yeah. I asked you, go ahead, He had a ton of respect as Bill alluded to, because as big as he was, whether he was wrestling as a heel or a baby face, when it came time, he sold for his opponents like crazy. Sure did. He was one of the boys. He'd do anything to help move the entire promotion. When he was in Jim Crockett promotions, I saw him every two, three weeks. He was, everybody was coming over him, asking him for advice and creative ideas. He was just so, he was in that perfect position. Yeah, well, and, and one of the reasons when you knew somebody that was a big star would still sell the Dickens for their opponents when the, it came time in the match. They also knew that if they went to him for advice, he would give them the best advice for them, not for him. Correct. Correct. I want to ask you guys about the WrestleMania three farewell and the story around that. And then um, I want to pitch an idea for next week's show. So we'll do that on the other side of the break. Want to sneak in a quick break and uh, make some more money. And then we'll come back on the other side, make some more money for you guys may come back on the other side and we'll wrap up wrestling with history right here in the VOC nation wrestling. Network. You have that money machine right in the house there. Don't tell anybody. Ooh. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Okay, now that we've paid a little bills, or paid a few bills, a little bit of paying bills, we're back here on Wrestling With History uh, here on VOC Nation. Thanks for uh, joining us, and, and thanks for the outpouring of support. Um, this is another great month for VOC Nation. We appreciate you continuing to 
Uh, support us by listening on your favorite podcast app into the tens of thousands. And that's awesome. What we'd love for you to do even more is to join our premium channel. It's only $3 a month. You get commercial free shows. You get video of a lot of our shows. And I got a big announcement next week for um, a major star that we've signed to be part of the premium channel exclusively for the premium channel. So stay tuned for that. It's just $3. And most of the money goes to our talent. So it helps uh, people like Bill and Ken stay around and tell the stories that you like for them to tell. Uh, guys, we're talking about Roddy Piper this week. Uh, Ken, I, I know you got something that it looks like you're itching to uh, insult me. No, what, what have I ever had to? What? <laughs> Bill, I'm being falsely accused here. Yeah, I had nothing yeah. in mind. You are. Get a lawyer. Anyway. WrestleMania three. Roddy Piper had his retirement match. And I guess I want to ask you, Ken, because you were there. Was this um, planned to be a permanent retirement for Piper? He, he went off to shoot They Live. Or was this like, hey, I'm going to do this. We're going to do a retirement angle and then I'll come back sometime in 89. Uh, yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I, I don't think it was a big deal because everybody knew he was going to do the movie. <laughs> You know, the, the retirement at that point, it really wasn't any different than, uh, you know, a loser leaves town match. Everybody knew he had signed, you know, he, he had this big part in the movie and he was leaving. And, you know, that was just the, the story they came up with. So it, it really wasn't a, a big, you know, topic. I, um, I think it was one of those things. Uh, it was more the, the fans were more interested than you know the behind the scenes because we knew he was going to do this movie. You see, there are a portion of the fans that even back then that didn't follow uh, the the magazines and stuff like that, so they didn't realize about uh, some of them didn't even know about the movie. So for right. those fans, this was uh, his retirement. But keep in mind that wrestlers around that age Piper was, they never retired. There's always a comeback tour. It's just like a rock band. You know, this is it. We're breaking up. This is two years later. We're back and we're better than ever. It's the same thing with pro wrestling. It always was. Except no. the Beatles. <laughs> no, you know, Roddy, you mentioned they live. And Roddy Piper was one of the first wrestlers to successfully become known for being in a movie and getting the movie out there. And when you, when you talk about that movie, like They Live, right away people say, oh, They Live, Roddy Piper. Froggy comes to Frogtown, Roddy Piper. So now, hold Roddy, on. Roddy, what's that? Well, you, you ruined my whole setup because I was going to say in that era, you had, uh, before They Live, you had uh, Body Slam, which Roddy Piper was in with the Samoans a and a few part. others a little part a little bit and then you had Captain Lou Albano in the successful movie Wise Guys that was 86 part, right? and then this whole connection between wrestling Hollywood starts and Piper was at the forefront Piper and Jesse Ventura with Running Man and and a few others well, Predator. Wait, wait, if you go back to the 40s before I was born Gorgeous George was in the movies I mean but, but Piper became known for uh for those movies uh and and i think because of him making the successful jaunt from wrestling 
to movies that inspired a lot of people like Vince McMahon to say, well, why aren't we doing this? Why are we just segmenting we're on TV? So maybe movies like Roddy Piper is doing is the next part of what we're doing. I heard that Piper only got that part in They Live because Resnick turned down the role. Was... <laughs> you, you in in the immortal words of the late great Bobby Heenan, Bruce. Tonight you are a true fountain of misinformation. <laughs> Ken Ken wanted to say gum. Roddy wanted to say bubble gum, and the rest is history. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, one thing I, I've always wondered, and I, Bruce, I'm sure you don't know me. Perhaps Bill. Uh, I definitely don't know. Let's let's go with no, that. I, I, I Bruce wondered, is chewing gum, by the way, in respect to Roddy Piper. Yeah, I, I've Bill often said it. I couldn't help myself. If if that was a line in the script, or if it was something like that, and Roddy came up with it, uh, but you know, uh, everyone knows that you know line associated with Roddy, just like everyone knows Jesse's great line. Uh, you know, I ain't got time to bleed, you know, they kind of, you know, both, uh, you know, were known for that brief line. And I always wonder if that was scripted or that kind of sounds like something Roddy would come up with on his own. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Roddy, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, especially in the latter years, is he was concentrating on becoming a full-time uh, movie actor he had also had some <clears throat> some scripts given to him and also he started writing quite a bit in terms of uh, uh, movie scripts and uh, I think he was trying to make a complete transition to Hollywood at one point as well you know just do wrestling is what he used to do yeah and now he wanted to become a movie star and he did Remember, I did do two movies. You, you did two movies. Yeah. Oh, tell us, Ken. I I don't I don't think um I don't think oh, I, I didn't know that. I was in the Silencers with um, Dean Martin. Jack, Jack. No, no. This was a later with Jack Scalia and Clarence Williams III from the Mod Squad, uh, and I did uh, the Naked Man. Not what you're thinking. Uh, with Michael Rappaport. Wow. So I did do two. The original Silences with Dean Martin was Dean one of Martin, my favorite yeah. movies. He was this the was a, a sci-fi oh. where I died in it. I got Ken, shot. Ken so Resnick. Live, it was They Die. Ken Resnick has an IMDb page. He's known for pro wrestling, The Silencers, 1996, and The Naked Man in 1998. Ken was Mr. Connerly. Coniglario? Uh, Conigliero. Uh, Coniglia Coach, Coach I, I can't remember. Uh, and in <laughs> uh, The Silencers, I was uh, agent, and it was funny. Uh, I think it was Ken Longo uh, was my name. Yeah, yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there we go. We learned something here on Wrestling with Injury. Well, what was the original Silencers? Dean Martin was, uh, what was the name of the character? Matt Helm. Yep. Right? Secretly, kind of a takeoff on James Bond. Make sure you get, get those movies. Get those movies. They're, they're out there. Um, they're out there. Find them. Go and find Ken Resnick on IMDb.
Ken, I, the other I thing that surprised you, didn't I? Yeah, you you totally got me. That was good. That that was and that was uh, I wasn't far from the truth with David. You could have you could have been there. Uh, real quick before we get out of here, you were on Piper's Pit. Bill did an in- indie show with Piper's Pit. You were on the Piper's Pit for about twenty eight seconds. Yeah, it was. Uh, <clears throat> you were the guest. I, I was the announced guest, uh, didn't know anything about it. And it was about uh, an hour before TV, we'd had our pre-production and I think I'd finished most of the interviews. And all of a sudden I get up, Vince wants to see you. And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> it had only happened one other time when I got chewed out for the British Bulldogs interview. So I, as I'm going down to Vince's office in my mind, I'm going, what did I do? What did I do? I can't think of anything. I got to be in trouble for something. I don't know what. And, you know, I go in and there was a producer there and Vince just looks up and he goes, you're the guest tonight on Piper's pit. They'll tell you all about it. Uh, And then that's what I found out, you know, and then they said, you're going to come out. You're the announced guest. You'll talk with Roddy a little bit. And then Adrian and Jimmy Hart are going to kind of, you know, interrupt and then you kind of, you know, gracefully kind of back yourself, you know, out of the frame. You know, I said, you know, okay. And that was it. I didn't have a chance to talk to Roddy. I didn't talk to any, I knew absolutely nothing about what we were going to do. And, you know, Roddy was kind of, you know, he, he was a baby face in the fans mind, but he was still Roddy Piper. So they come and get me, you know, just about, you know, I'm on stage the, Piper's pit is set up. Roddy comes out and he doesn't say a word to me. You know, I mean, we're just, you know, standing there and they're getting ready. You know, they introduce him, the music plays. And I'm thinking, I have no idea if he's going to rip me apart. I, I mean, not physically, but, and just as he turns to walk out from the curtain, he turns to me and gives me a wink. That was all he did. And then he comes out and, you know, introduces me as one of the greatest announcers of all time. Nice buildup. I come out, we shake hands, we talk, and then Adrian comes out right away and and interrupts. And what was interesting after the fact, and I I never had any problem. A lot of people didn't get along with Adrian. I always got along with him fine. After the whole thing was over, Adrian sought me out and he said, oh man, he said, I screwed up. He said, I should... I came out too soon. I should have given you a little more time. I'm sorry. And he, he was genuine. But, you know, everybody talks about everything was rehearsed. I, I had no knowledge ahead of time. And when we came out, I mean, Roddy, you know, like patted me on the, didn't say one word about here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I would just like everything else. We just winged it. <laughs> but at the very end of the night, Adrian, because he did, you know, we were, and even Roddy said, geez, I want to talk to you, you know, for a little bit. Uh, but, you know, they came out. But, you know, I'm one of the few people that can say, you know, besides doing two movies, I was a guest on Piper's Pit and I was a guest on the After Chat. Doesn't get much better. Thank you. Downhill from here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wrestling with history isn't your highlight in, in your <laughs> wrestling career. Uh, wrapping it up. So that's uh, that's Ken's Roddy Piper uh ultimate moment bill um any uh final memories of roddy yeah, Piper? you know at the at the various uh, conventions through the years uh a lot of the independent promoters built piper's pit backdrops and roddy was so enamored with the fan the fans who were enamored with him 
he was so great to the fans. Even if he had a long, long, long line, he made sure that everybody got personal treatment. And I know I said this about a lot of guys and Roddy was one of them. If I ever needed something from him, I would call him. And sometimes he'd say, he'd do, well, what do you pay? Oh, you're Bill Actor. You did a lot for me in the mag. What, what do you need me to do for you? So instead of like charging me where he might have done that with other people to do like a two hour, whatever, sit down interview or something, he was, he, again, he remembered his past and all the times we did things from the magazines. So yeah, he was a great guy. I was, I was shocked when he passed away. It was just like out of nowhere. Nobody knew he was sick or whatever. So yeah, yeah. listen, great, great guy. And uh, uh, one of the great characters of all time. Ken, any final thoughts outside of your Piper's Pit moment? Um, I remember I'd been gone for a while and I think this was uh, when Roddy was with WCW. Uh, they came to town and, you know, I hadn't seen him for a number of years. Uh, Hulk was on the show. So I just went down. It was at Target Center. You know, they knew me and, you know, the guard to kind of get into the dressing room area saw me and just waved. He just thought, you know, I belong. Mm -hmm. And I kind of went down to, to see Hulk and a few of the people I knew. Um, and, you know, Roddy was on the show. Uh, and I was kind of standing out in the hall and Roddy comes out, you know, of the dressing room and, you know, I just waved and he like does a double take and comes over and gives me a big hug and stood for, you know, like five minutes to, to visit. Uh, and then one of the photographers came by and said, Hey, I want to get a picture of you guys. Uh, and I said, will you get it to me? He said, yeah. And then Roddy, you know, there are all these people standing around. Roddy shoes everybody else out of the frame. So it was just the two of us and he puts his arm around me and he goes, geez, it's good to see you. Uh, and I mean, so he really was like Bill said, um, he, he remembered people and he, whether you were in the business or a fan, if you wanted to interact with him, he tried to make time for everybody he could. And as great as he was, never really had a big ego about himself. And, and you didn't get kicked out of that show, at least by Eric Bischoff. No, no, I didn't. Thank you. I don't think Eric was there. It was a house show. So, I was... <laughs> all right, Roddy Piper. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, and that's what we do here on Wrestling with History. We tell, uh, at least they tell stories. I just kind of guide them through it. And then next week, guys, I was I was looking at some stuff online today in preparation for this show, and. Um, that's where I came across wise guys with Captain Lou Albano. And I thought that's a good person that both of you guys knew or probably had experience with oh, was Lou Albano. Wow. Oh, I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I just to tease you here. I mean, I knew him from the early 60s. Yeah. Ken, was Lou there when you worked in, uh, in New York? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So is that a good show? I mean, I'm pitting you with this live as we're taping. I got an idea. I got uh -oh. <laughs> oh, an idea. Bill has an idea. I, oh, I forgot. I'm on assignment next week. <laughs> That's right. No, I'll only be off one more time next month. Uh, but why don't we do the great WWF managers from back then? Lou Albano, Fred Blasty, and the Grand Wizard. Why don't we talk about them? 
So the and I thought about this, and we'll see where it goes. I think we should headline with Albano. I thought about doing managers, but I thought that Fred Blassie could could get a whole show because he was there when Ken was there. So let's um let's think that through. And when we come back together next week, we'll either do Lou Albano or we'll do Lou Albano and some of the other managers of that era. How about that? It's Captain Lou, and I'm talking to you, brother. I got backward moving, forward move. Yeah, he was he was an absolute great character. And you know, maybe people can send in questions that they'd like to ask about Captain Lou Albano. I, we, I knew I knew him very, very, very well. He's a very good friend. Tweet us at VOC Nation, at VOC Nation, at After One Wrestling, or at Resnick after VOC. You send an email to Bruce at VOCNation.com. Any one of those ways you can tweet your uh, or send your questions. You can also find uh, any of us on Facebook. Uh, uh, yuck. Um, you can find Bill or Ken on Facebook. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I accept you. I accept you. Uh, I just put you on a different list right away. I only so. accept friends from Facebook of people that I know. So please don't feel uh, it's like I dissed you if I don't friend you. You know what? Forget about the Facebook thing. And, and, and I've got a bombshell. Uh, I, I was accepted and friended by Manny Fernandez. All right. There yes. you go. Yeah. Part no, of the BS. Family. no BS. Manny, the most popular show and the most popular T-shirt as of this moment, passing Ken Resnick. On VOC Nation. Yeah, but he's counting wholesale. So, you know, it's skewered. Send your questions on Twitter and email. We'll get them worked into the show. That's it for this week for Killer Ken Resnick and uh, Bill After. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. And as I always ask, send us out, guys. Bill? We'll see you eventually at the matches. What Bill said. Right here is the future of wrestling.